0: It's hard to believe after the Blue Jays swept the Atlanta Braves last weekend that we'd be looking at this past homestand as a categorical nightmare. But that is the case after losing three or four to the Yankees and then getting swept by the Baltimore Orioles over the weekend. To discuss that and more, Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic joins us. Good morning, Caitlin.
1: Good morning.
0: Uh, So how are things like, uh, you know, I guess as it pertains to the Blue Jays, how are things with the Blue Jays? When you sum up this Blue Jays weekend for us, what went wrong? What does it mean? Are there like some real takes from what we saw here against the Orioles? And by extension, what we've seen recently inside the American League East.
1: Yeah, I mean, you kind of summed it up in your intro. I mean, it was a long homestand. And when we entered it, it was like, Here's a great opportunity for the Blue Jays. They had played up until that point the fewest amount of home games for uh, an American League team, I believe. And so it's like you have 10 games like to play your best baseball to that point. they have been playing really well at home. Um, it started off well against the Braves and then it just really went downhill from there. Um, so yeah, I mean it's not great to lose uh, what a six of seven to your American League East opponents. Um, on the one hand, I thought that the Blue Jays didn't play well. So maybe that's almost like a weird positive because it's like they almost beat themselves in a lot of ways. Like there were their errors. I thought the pitching, at least the starting pitching was relatively okay. Um, but the hitting just was not there at all. Um, outside of maybe, you know, a, a clutch hit in that Yankees win from Danny Jansen um, I think they had a beginning in that one Yankees game, the first game, but they were down like six or seven already, so kind of too much to come back. But outside of those um, instances, like the, you know, the offense just was really not coming through. They had plenty of opportunities, and so again, like it's not like they're having trouble getting guys on base; they're having trouble cashing them in. So on the one hand, the positive was like, okay, well, at least they're. Still getting some hits, it's just they're not getting the key one, but that's kind of the main issue, right?
2: Well, that's been a problem with this team. And look, it's not constantly been a problem. They have gone on great stretches where they were driving in anybody who came on base more so last year than what we've seen this season. But this feels like it's been a hobby horse that, you know, the fan base specifically has been kind of beating up on for for a while now. They made a concerted effort to completely change not only their defensive philosophy, but their offensive one. They went away from the idea of a bunch of big boppers at the top and kind of figuring it out. It's supposed to be a more ball in play speed lineup. You know, to me, that is a change of approach. That is what people have wanted to see. And yet you're still having the problems with with runners coming through or or being able to come through with with runners in scoring position. What does that say about the team to you? I mean, part of it for sure is just, look, it's baseball. There's going to be weeks and months where it goes this way. And there's going to be weeks and months where it goes the other. But when this has been a recurring problem for a couple of seasons now with a lineup that has changed a little, but not completely, uh, I do think there's kind of more cause for concern than just throwing your hands up and going, ah, them's the breaks
1: yeah I mean it is one of those things that um, just kind of ebbs and flows a little bit it's something that John Schneider said and it's true like hitting with runners and scoring position is really not any different uh, or it shouldn't be any different than hitting in general I think that's the key I think maybe in the last few days we're seeing the Blue Jays because it's kind of piling up maybe they are then changing their approach in those situations, which is what you want to not do. You want to sort of just do the same thing, stay with your approach. And so maybe very recently we're seeing guys, you know, try to do too much, um, get out of their approach, whatever it may be. Um, And so that sort of exacerbates things. But I think in general, like, it's not, you shouldn't be doing anything different in these situations, right? And if you have a good hitting team, most likely you're going to have a good hitting team in with runners in scoring position. Like, it's not like things change. So, I do think that at some point the Blue Jays are going to get a big hit. They're going to have a huge sigh of relief, and things are going to just kind of go back to what we expect. But to answer your question, I mean, I do think that there's some – I mean, George Springer was off to a very slow start. I know he kind of picked it up a little bit this weekend, and so you're seeing kind of better signs. He's hitting the ball harder. He had a home run. Um, So maybe that's a good sign. I think Vlad has also sort of slowed down. He did not have a great weekend. Um, Bo also slowing down a little bit from like the insane pace that he was on Matt Chapman. So there's a few guys that like at the top of your lineup that were really driving things, um, maybe George Springer excluded, um, that slowed down a little bit. And so if the top of the order isn't getting it done and you're placing a lot of pressure on the middle and the bottom. So I think it's like a bit of a lineup out of sync right now. And also just some guys that you, normally have been able to count on and they're not quite coming through in those big spots um but all those guys I listed they're very talented experienced good hitters and so you would assume that they go back to their norms as well and I I do think it's frustrating to say this like you said but sometimes you do have to say like it just was a really bad week and that that happens in baseball
0: yeah, it's definitely possible that, hey, in June, they tear the cover off the ball and cash in a million runs. And in September, you're talking about like meaningful games. It's like, oh, there's no reason to think that there's going to be a problem with runners in scoring position because that's the way baseball works. But this one in six stretch, like I feel like there have been real things. So what's like the realest concern that's br- been brought to the fore here in this l- latest skid? Like what is actually an issue when looking at the long term with this Blue Jays team?
1: Well, I mean, they've dug themselves a bit of a hole against the American League East. Um, I think they only have, like, five wins against the American five League. Five and 12. Five and 12, okay. Um, so that's not great, right? Like, so then you're, A, with the balanced schedule, you're not seeing them as many times, so you don't have as many opportunities to kind of dig yourself out of that hole. And so to me, like, that may be something that maybe come September it is haunting them a little bit, right? Like, they have a chance now uh, they have four games against the Rays, so maybe you even that out a little bit. But again, we're talking about the Rays, who have been the best team in the American League. They've slowed down a little bit. Like, they're not on the same tear that they were on to start the season. But, you know, they're still a very good team, and they've been playing really well at home. And the Blue Jays just particularly do not play well at Tropicana Field. So it's like a weird, you know, uh, convergence of things there happening. But, yeah, I mean, like, on on the field, like, It's hard to say because I think like the starting pitching to me is sort of other than Alec Manoa, but I think that he had a better start against the Baltimore Orioles. Um, I think the starting pitching has kind of been what I expected it to be. Um, You know, the bullpen, it's going to ebb and flow a lot. The offense, like I said, was the thing that stuck out to me this past week where it's not coming through, but I don't know if I'm, too worried about that yet. I want to sort of like larger sample size to see here what happens with the offense. But yeah, I guess I would say like the record against the American league East is something that now we're going to have to be sort of watchful of and mindful of, because that's quite a big hole to dig yourself out of.
2: I don't want to make too big a moment uh, or too, too big a milestone moment out of this, because look, everybody makes mistakes. Players make errors. Players chase pitches. They shouldn't Uh, a skippers allowed to make one as well, but Alec Manoa has been waiting all season for for a glimmer of hope. Uh, I'm not going to say it was the sterling start he wanted, but it was the closest thing we've seen to it in a while. And that's just a major gaffe by John Schneider to force him to come out of the game. Now, I don't know what you do about it going forward, it's done. The, he had to come out. You know, you hope Manoa can continue that momentum going forward. Is there any worry that Manoa kind of having to come out of the game when he finally had found something and was feeling good is going to kind of halt the momentum that that he could have possibly taken out of that start?
1: I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that obviously it was a crummy way to come out of the game. Um, it's also my understanding that, like, it could have been the time he was coming out of the game anyway. He kind of talked himself into staying in and then obviously he had to come out though because of the mountain visit situation. So it was 85 pitches. So he could have gone a little longer. He wasn't exactly going to go too, too much longer. I think that if you're Manoa though, you just focus on the good of that outing, focus on, like you said, maybe not uh, the best start, but certainly one that was going in a positive direction, especially considering what his other starts have been this season. So I think if you're him and I think if you're the Blue Jays, like you just focus on that, focus on what you are doing to get hitters out, getting success on the mound, doing things, competing, all these things that are very Alec Manoa Just focus on that and, and just kind of forget about the way that you came out of the game. Like it was a bad moment for the manager, obviously bad moment for maybe the coaches too, who uh, obviously didn't stop him, lost track or didn't realize what was happening until it was too late. So not the finest hour there for the Blue Jays dugout, but if you're Manila, just sort of, I would say, just look at all the positives of that and sort of just try to forget about the way that it ended, unfortunately.
0: Last one here for you, Kaylin. I think one of the more. Uh, annoying things as a fan of the Toronto Blue Jays would be, okay, we made concessions with the lineup, right? You took Teo out because you wanted to bring balance and versatility and do all these different things and win baseball games a different way. You wanted to win baseball games through fundamentals and making smart decisions and I think like part of that is what the manager did on the weekend, but like this is something that's omnipresent, right? Like not being dialed in, not being dialed in and executing on those fundamentals. We've seen errors in the field. We've seen base running mistakes like is that something that ebbs and flows as well Or is this team just maybe not Precisely what it was built up to be
1: Well I think That sometimes Mistakes magnify when things Aren't going well um, And it was like it was weird like it was like That game uh against the Braves when both teams played so terribly and they were all both making mistakes and Atlanta was dropping the ball and blah, blah, blah. And then the Blue Jays ended up winning that game. And on the one hand, it was like, okay, this still was a very sloppy game, but the win kind of overshadowed it. Okay, the Blue Jays got it done. Ultimately, they hit the walk-off. Everybody goes home happy. And so I do think that it's one of those things where when things are going bad and you're not winning at all, those mistakes just magnify. Um, And sometimes like, again, I don't know that the team would sort of fully admit it, but I do think like when you're all so when you're pressing and when you're very desperate for a win, like I'm thinking about like the wit Maryville getting picked off at first yesterday. It was like, that's very unlike him. He's a good base runner. He's the, you know, the best guy on the team at stealing bases. He's good at being aggressive. And then you see that mistake and he's just too aggressive. and He gets picked off right away. And, you know, that's not good is that because he's in a place where okay they have a chance to score, um they have a chance to win, they kind of salvage that um that series a little bit and is he trying to do too much because of all that that's going on? Maybe, right? Like um and so I do think it's something that could be mindful of because like you said like this was supposed to be the season where they were very conscious of those little things and they were not making mistakes or not making as few mistakes as possible. They were not having those like momentary um, mental blips or whatever may be. So I do think it's something to be mindful of because while physical errors happen and, you know, you can't, that's just baseball. Like they're going to, people are going to make mistakes. Um, It's being sort of mindful of those ones that do seem kind of avoidable. And so, yeah, I think that this was not a great week in a lot of facets of the game but I also think that sometimes bad weeks just magnify everything that is going wrong with the team. Um, and so we'll see. But I do think the Blue Jays do need to sort of get back to that sharper baseball that we know that they can play. Because I think in some of those games against the Braves, they played really, really well. They looked like the much better team um, against, you know, one of the National League's best teams.
0: Yeah, let's hope it's just, it's a, ba- uh, just a bad week. Caitlin, uh, we appreciate you jumping on this morning.
1: Yep. Thank you, guys.
0: That's Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Let's make a hard right turn and go to the world of golf and bring in Bob Herrig of Sports Illustrated. Good morning, Bob.
3: Hey, good morning. How are you?
0: Uh, we're pretty good. We're coming off a win, clearly, at the 105th PJ Championship for Brooks Kepka. and it's one of the historical variety, right? It's not a one-off. You, get a, you can actually contextualize this sort of win. So where does this put Brooks Kepka in the grand scheme of things historically in the golf world?
3: Yeah, listen. It's uh, it's he 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 just moves up a notch in the grand scheme of things. Um, It's just rare air. Only twenty men have won uh, five majors or more. I believe it ties him for fifteenth all time. Um, You know, it's just uh, you know I I I wrote this yesterday. You know, pointed out several times. You know, Tiger is fifteen. Phil has six. Those are the only guys who are still playing who have more than Brooks Kepka you know he passed Rory moved by Rory and and you know he hadn't won a single major when when Rory had gotten to four and so now he's moved past him and um you know he seems like he's back he's he he obviously had a great chance at the masters that he that he wasn't able to convert and Now he got this one, and you've got to love his chances at the U.S. Open in a few weeks.
2: Boy, boy, do you especially, especially just given the the conditions that he had to do it with there at, at the PGA. You know, so many people kind of comparing it to Wingfoot, which of course was U.S. Open venue a few years ago, and just kind of the fact: big, burly golf course, a lot of thick rough, uh, and we know he can win U.S. Opens. He's he's done it before. You know, may, maybe you just answered it, but I'll I'll just pose the question directly: Is Brooks Koepka now the greatest golfer of his generation? You know, I think up until. Uh, whatever time it was at Sunday, a lot of people still would have said that's Rory McIlroy, given all the other wins, given the four majors. Uh, I think obviously the fact that he has one more. And like you said, I don't know that we're going to stop him at five. I'm not ready to rush him to six or seven yet either. Winning majors is hard. We, we sometimes get ahead of ourselves, but is it as simple as the win yesterday? And look, Rory can change this as soon as the next major as well. But is it as simple as the win yesterday just vaulted Brooks Kepka to the greatest golfer of his generation?
3: I think it's a fair discussion, certainly, um, just for the reasons that you pointed out. I mean, it's, you know, we we judge these guys by these tournaments. And if you just look at his record from 2017 on, I mean, not only does he have the five wins, but I believe he has four seconds. And, you know, in 2021, when he was in bad shape, he had three top six finishes. He finished second to Phil. He was fourth at the U.S. Open with, you know, a shaky back nine. And, and he was sort of in the mix of the British open that year. He finished sixth. So, I mean, he wasn't really close at the end, but he, he did have a chance going into that final day. I mean, you know, part of it is that too. Part of it is, is giving yourself chances. And, uh, you know, these aren't like, you know, one-offs where he just gets there once in a while. So obviously last year was a downer year for him. Missed two cuts in majors was, was not in, in good shape physically. Um, you know, I, I would still probably make an argument for Rory. Um, you know, he's, he's, (laughs) he's, he's been a prolific winner and, and I don't think we should be discounting, you know, those things. He's won a player's championship in there. Um, you know, he's, he's won overseas, you know, he won in Dubai this year. Uh, he won the FedEx cup last year. In fact, he's won it. He's won it, uh, three times, you know, I mean, that, it's not a it's not a major, but it's still important. And you know, that's that was the one knock on Brooks when he was playing on the PGA tour. You know, he has four tour wins that aren't majors. That's it. It's it's kind of remarkable that he that he ups his game for the biggest tournaments, but he's so blah on the others. You know, you throw in the two live wins and and his resume is just is is not that impressive overall, but Obviously, the majors mean so much, and you cannot discount five. It's just an incredible number. I mean, tied stevie tied Byron Nelson. Uh, there's a couple of other guys before World War II who won five majors, um, and you know, back then there was no Masters, so um, it's 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 really if if you throw out the pre-World War II guys, you know, there's not too many people ahead of Brooks.
0: Two live wins, Gunnar. We short-changed we Brooks did. just yeah. a little bit. As far as <laughs> zero,
2: zero live wins and 100 live wins and two <laughs> live wins, the exact same worthwhileness, yeah. So, so Bob, uh, d- does Kepka like, have the golf
0: world in the palm of his hands? Is this cake and eating it, too? Or is there some... Bit- is there a bittersweet tinge to this victory, knowing that he made the decision he did last year
3: and what his realities are right now as a golfer? Certainly. I think... You know, there's a big segment of the of the golf fandom that just despises Live, and uh, and for you know, there's legitimate reasons to you know, like you know, in my position, I've 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 tried to boil it down to just the golf. You know, Um, he's playing another tour. There's some really good players there. Uh, Obviously, it's not as simple as that. There's going to be people who who are disappointed that he left. That you know, so called sold out went for the money, turned his back on the PGA tour. Um, You know, there's obviously a lot of guys who've done that. And um, it's a, it's a fair thing to, to question in terms of his legacy. You know um, I do think if he could add a couple more majors that it only enhances though, you know, his, his abilities in that um, he's still able to be competitive despite not putting himself in the the greatest competitive arena outside of the majors. I mean, you know, let's be honest. A 48-player field is not the same as a 150-player field. And the depth is just not there. So, you know, uh, while I don't discount his wins over there, I also recognize that, you know, there's some question as to whether you're preparing yourself properly. And yet, he's managed to be right there in the two majors we've played this year.
2: So you you mentioned the idea of Live and some people discount it, some people won't. I've heard the question bandied about is this a win for Live? Is it not? I personally, myself, don't think it changes anything. Now, maybe that's some of my own. uh, I don't know if you could tell. Not the biggest Live fan. Uh, Might be leaking into my questioning here. But the idea of, there's been an argument of should these tournaments, the Live tournaments, get World Rankings points? Do you think the idea of Kepka not being a former or one-time major winner, but a current major winner who plays on Live, do you think that will alter the way that the discussion around world ranking points is changed at all and should it because personally for me it shouldn't change anything about it it's a three it's a three round event like you said there's no cut limited field they aren't real tournaments they shouldn't get rankings points but now that they have a major winner playing in them and a current one do you think it'll change anything and should it
4: well
3: I I don't think the argument it should be based on on that to be honest I mean um, I, I think it strengthens it from the live standpoint. But I, I think, you know, the way I've tried to look at this is the OWGR is meant to try to rank all professional players across the world. Um, how do you compare somebody playing the Asian Tour or the Sunshine Tour to someone playing the PGA Tour? It's very difficult. Those tournaments have weak fields. Some of them are 54, a whole event you know i i'm I, I try to look at this pragmatically and take and take the you know the sort of the emotion out of it, and I do think they should get points if they make some changes. I think that the o w g r should be above the pettiness i think that's being petty at this point of trying to push them down because you don't like it. It's fine that they don't like it, but I would argue that you know um they they are Um, tournaments that uh, that that based on their field size are already going to be discounted heavily. And when you consider that a good number of their players, probably 20 players out of the 48, maybe 15 are probably worse than five hundredth in the world, you know, because they're not playing anywhere to get points. It's going to severely pull down their they're the number of points that you earn. So my, I guess my long-winded point is, if you go to live, you are not going to have a free ticket into the majors. You're going to be getting less than half the points of a PGA Tour event. Far less than like a, a designated event like the Memorial. Um, probably half of, a, of, of what you're going to get at say like the Canadian Open, and even like one of the tour's worst events this year in terms of field strength, the Mexico Open it's, it's far less than that. It's like 10 points less than that. So, you know, you're going to have to play your tail off on live to make any moves, but again, they need to make a few changes. You need to have a cut. You need to have better access. You can't have a 48 player locked field every week. You know, it's just the same guys beating each other. That's not how that's not how it's supposed to work. They're going to have a Q school at the end of the year, but it's only going to promote three players and then one from the international series. I think instead of four, they need more like eight or ten. And then they should probably have a handful of tournaments each year that have some sort of qualifying. So you have a little bit of turnover, and, and you different guys have a chance to get in, different guys get moved out, and then you're still playing for a very small number of points. But I, you know, to your original question, I think there's going to be certainly a move now among the live people. Hey, look at us! You know, for the second straight major, they had what three guys in the top ten, and you know, it's uh, obviously there's out of out of only a small number of players. I, I think that's you know, I think that says something. It's it should I don't know that we should be doing cartwheels over it, but it's not like they've they haven't been competitive. And, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think getting points is a ways off. Um, you know, the OWGR has seen no inclination to rush it probably shouldn't. And, you know, by the time they finally get them, some of their guys are going to really drift even farther down. But I do think eventually if they make some changes, they should be there just like any other smaller tour.
0: Uh, they've been kept competitive. They've won. They've frankly, you know, really, really improved the storylines for these major championships. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting debate and an interesting storyline that will continue to develop. Hey, Bob, we really appreciate the time this morning. Uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. That would be great. Thanks for having me. No Have problem. A good day. You too. That's Bob Herrig of Sports Illustrated.
2: Future golf show guest, I've decided. Uh, Sam McKee, I'm just going to TM that one for him. Uh, yeah, so we will be getting him on the golf show at some point in time. I felt like there were more expansive thoughts I could get into here with yeah. him. So loved, uh, love the Bob. Uh, definitely, definitely.
0: Um, was going to ask
2: him about Michael Block, where that story ranks on the all-timers. It, it is a flat-out all-timer. You have had guys come out of nowhere. I mean, Corey Connors was once, so every tournament, or not every tournament, but most tournaments have what's called a Monday qualifier. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a tournament on Monday. Sometimes there's one spot up for grabs. Sometimes there's two. Connors is a guy who has made a big run as a Monday qualifier. Typically, that's kind of the best story you could possibly get in golf. Occasionally, you'll get someone on a sponsor's exemption who handles himself well, and it's like, wow, they made it to the weekend. The fact that Michael Block made it to the weekend would have been an incredible story. He's paired up with Justin Rose. He's crying when they tell him he's going to be playing with Rory McElroy. <laughs> he's shushing the crowd on 18 because they're more excited about him than they are about Rory. I mean, I, it was funny. I was talking with buddies about this big last night. hug for Brooks on big, the way out, big hug for Brooks. And people are saying, oh, is there going to be a movie about this? And I was thinking, oh, come on, that's too much. No, there absolutely should be a movie about this. This is like—I'm not saying it's like you know a, cinem- a cinematic masterpiece. This is totally something I'd watch on TV at three o'clock on a, uh, on, a on a Sunday afternoon uh, when the Blue Jays game has already ended or something like that. But this this is just—it's too cool. It's the perfect story. It's incredible, and again, it's going to lead to so much more. We throw around the term life changing moment. This could literally change this guy's life. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know what he makes for his salary. It ain't 300k. It's probably half of that if he's lucky. I think there was over two thousand private yeah. sessions
0: he had to do in order to make that.
2: Money. Yeah, saw that stat from Justin Ray at buck twenty five or uh, one hundred twenty five bucks about for that, a lesson. One hundred twenty five dollars for an hour to get a lesson from Michael Block. Well, and this is so. Here is all of the like. Let's not follow up on this because there were all the scenes of his club and they're loving him and they're shooting blocky. Go do it. <laughs> If you're, like, I don't know, I'm not going to pretend to know the dynamics of uh, Southern California country clubs, but, like... If you were a rival club, would it not be the greatest move ever to poach him? Mm. Like, why would you not do that? I mean, who knows? Everyone wants a piece of the he's block. Going, he's a
0: ship off the old he's, block. He's
2: going to get a tailor made commercial. He's a tailor made staffer. He's paired up with Rory McElroy, who is also one of those. They're 100 percent just taking the footage from that final round, and whether it's a full TV ad or it just goes on IG, this guy's going to have his 15 moments in the 15 minutes in the sun. And honestly, it's it's moments like this where you know, he wasn't striving for it. This wasn't somebody who was looking for his 15 minutes. It was somebody who was going to go play a golf tournament. And again, when he packed his bag, I guarantee you, maybe he didn't say this out loud, but in his heart of hearts, he thought I'm gonna go play a couple rounds. And I'm gonna come home. He, he, got, brought, he brought two shirts. He he was out at the bar on Saturday night. There were people who saw him out on the town, wherever in Rochester. I don't know if he consumed the garbage plate that we talked about that last week. I hope not for his own health and however he performed. But honestly, an incredible story. At a loss for words because it's just it's so. It's I, just. I, I thought that was a little
0: strange that he was out Saturday. I'm like, you gotta no. You could, there, there are. There's money on the table and for you guess tomorrow. What? He won it all. Maybe that's where you got to be. Like, that's what you do at the club at home. You put that's, yourself in the same, you, what do you study in the same exam room? It Maybe is, that's what it was.
2: It's exactly what we talk about in all walks of life. The idea of you want, don't. Clutch isn't doing something better than you normally do at a tough moment. It's being who you are when the moment matters the most. And Mm -hmm. if Michael Block is crushing pops before member guests (laughs) on a Saturday night or whatever it is he's doing, and that's the recipe, uh, clearly it worked. Uh, And the hole-in-one is going to be, that will be the golf moment of the year outside of... Yeah, I, I was about to say outside of something, well, but
0: uh, and that's the thing. Like, if you're doing the movie, at least you have the moment where the movie that. leads up to. Yeah. That, they, well, that's they made your trailer. movies about lesser things. What a pad save yeah. for that's the your, Zamboni that's driver. That's your trailer.
2: Oh, that's too soon. If I if there's a David Ayers movie, I don't. I there don't was wanna... wasn't that in the works? Wasn't no. Disney working on that? Please no. All I know is the movie that I never got was uh, my guy uh, from Billions, the lead. He played Rob Ford in like a made-for-TV movie that never saw the light of day, and I've never wanted something to be seen. I'll show the you. Homeland guy? No, no. Uh, he's a. Uh, Jamadi. Uh, Paul Jamati? No, no. The, the, the like lead guy, the redhead that's the home, guy. That's oh, the it's, okay, guy. Okay, he's yeah, a yeah. homeland. Uh, there is the most unsettling picture of him in just the face makeup, but wearing I can't his regular even clothes. That. I will show that to you in the break so you will be disturbed when we uh, come back and talk to Marty Turco. And hopefully, if anybody can get us back on the rails, it's him.
0: Yeah, we got a busy final block. Marty Turco, as you mentioned, and Botano, best bets. We'll do that next.
2: Breaking down the
0: top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back on the fan morning show. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Justin Cuthbert and Brent Gunning. Uh, four overtime games in the Stanley Cup playoff conference finals so far, including one that went to four overtimes. And we're going to bring in someone who Played in four overtimes once. Marty Turco, former Dallas Stars goalie and president of the Dallas Stars Foundation, also owner of the Kingsville Brewery. Might have to check that out. Uh Uh, Good morning, Marty. Good morning, boys. How we doing? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Uh, I mentioned the four-overtime game, and everyone saw the photos. I'm assuming you did see the photo of Sergei Bobrovsky after the four-overtime game, just completely sucked out. Is that the reality for a goaltender? You lo- lose, like, 20 to 30 pounds uh, if you play in seven NHL periods in succession? Um, yeah.
4: Uh, <laughs> I never... I never I've, I played in not just one, we played in two, and in fact, also played in a f- fifth overtime game in 2003. Oh, geez. So, yeah, we could speak to the matter, and um, <laughs> honestly, though, like, we, I took an IV after the third period of each of those times, and I felt awesome, um, I was in, I was in shape, so uh, I could have went all night, but unfortunately, um, let in a couple goals a few times, but, was fortunate to uh, close out a series and Brendan Morrill scored game six in uh in oh eight it was uh, it was awesome. They're good. Don't recommend them for everybody. But, uh, <laughs> that,
0: that was the one I was trying to underscore for getting the fifth and the fourth other the other one. So the, the fourth when you're a winner mm-hmm. must feel better than being on the losing end. Uh, that that's uh, obvious. But uh what does it feel like when yeah. you do win a marathon like that?
4: Oh uh, it's it's great. Especially the year before we'd lost and had another one a few years before that. So I was just kind of waiting for the hero and got it. And uh, that one was, that one was at home and, uh, to close out a series. So it was, um, you know, exhilarating. And honestly, people still talk about that game, that goal, um, uh, in Dallas. And so it was, uh, it was an awesome feeling. And, um, and I, 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 yeah, I mean, if you, if you can get out there and win it, I recommend it, but if not just, um, uh, careful. It's a, it's a tough, t- it's a tough one to take.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine. So, you know, just thinking and, uh, you know, I know you're all teammates, you're all pulling on the same rope, I can only imagine what's going through your head when you hear your teammates talk about how tired they are after, you know, they get to sit on the bench for long, long chunks of OT. You're out there (laughs) for the entirety of it, Marty. And I know you could lean on the post once in a while, but man, it must kind of, you must roll your eyes just a touch when you're hearing your your teammates going, oh, I'm so tired playing my 50 minutes of this, you know, seven hour long (laughs) game we've been in or whatever it is.
4: Yeah, yeah, well, you get used to it over a career anyway. They're all a bunch of complainers and whiners, so uh, you got you to gotta deal with them. You need them. You need them. So uh, we, we, we try to stroke the ego and uh, let them talk how tired they were, but uh, it is. And, and over time, you only get that one time out halfway through too, so you don't get too much of a, of a break and probably gonna get water balls thrown to you if uh, when you need them. But uh, you just... You're just in the zone, and anything can happen, and that's all you're thinking about. And uh, so any complaining, anything else is just – white noise at that point. You just uh, get your head down, try to get the job done.
0: So the Dallas Stars have lost the first two games of the Western Conference Final, both in overtime in Vegas. So that would suggest that this series has been played really close so far, which is two overtime goals separating these two teams. But where do you think the difference has lied uh, between Vegas and Dallas to start this series with the Stars facing a 2 nothing deficit?
4: Um, well, I mean, the difference is just Overtime. And um, obviously them scoring, but uh, say last night, the uh, stars probably had the, you know, a, a little higher quality game, uh, but just, you know, can't, can't give a play goals. You got to, got to be able to close out games. And so probably that's the biggest difference uh, for me is just, the you know, little plays that add up to, you know, big things, which are wins and losses. Um, Vegas played really well in, in game one. You know, I'm still in Vegas, and so uh, the building was was awesome, was rocking, was real loud. And it was it was a great atmosphere. Um, so now Dallas, you know, we got to go back home and hold serve, and our fans will be ready. They'll be ready to rock and roll, uh, just like you know Vegas was, and maybe a little bit louder. But uh, it's just you know one play here and there, you know, and you always talk about it, you preach it, coaches are all over you, all, you know since you're 10 years old. Just you know one play. You don't know which one makes a difference, and so you got to give everything you have every shift. And uh, and you got that on high alert here in the Stanley Cup playoffs in this round, as you guys said, every game went to overtime. So uh, the little thing, little things matter. And um, you know, I think the Stars could uh, could uh, use a few home wins to get back into this one. I don't think they have a choice. So much of
2: goaltending analysis from someone like myself is a uh, big throwing up of the hands and going, I don't know, they made the stop or, or they didn't. Obviously, I can tell you Jake Ottinger is a good goalie. I can't exactly explain to you why. What is it that you see in Jake Ottinger uh, that's kind of allowed him to rise to the kind of cream of the crop as far as NHL goalies go pretty early on in his NHL career? And I know it hasn't been the playoffs he's wanted necessarily, uh, but the bulk of body of work you've seen of this guy has been pretty good so far in his NHL career. What do you see in his game?
4: Yeah, the, the difference maker um, that he possesses is just his, his usually his overall calmness, and uh, you know, kind of less is more. He's a big he's a big kid, and so he does take up a lot of net. And doesn't need to do too too much, and um, you know, just with that poise in there, um, confidence comes for for him, and then for his teammates as well. Um, he, he gets back there, moves the puck with decent efficiency and uh but his movement's awesome and, and when he's tracking the puck uh and finding it through traffic he's he's pretty unbeatable and, and is one of the best in the world and you know he's gonna have to uh steal a game or two or f- for these guys to pull it out. but uh you know he's just he's just good he's got all the tangibles but mostly the one that counts the most and that's uh between the ears
0: Yeah. You're right. The, the challenge for Dallas isn't the same as Carolina when they drop the first two at home and then have to go on the road and dig their heels in, but it is, it is immense, right? Oh two. And at this position, right? You've come so far, you put so much into this and it kind of, not that you can't come behind from three, nothing, but it's do or die. It seems like in a game three for Dallas and there's different like pressure checkpoints along the way, but like how could you compare to this one where it's not the Stanley cup final yet conference final down Oh two, you need a victory. Is this like, this is like the crucial moment of the Dallas stars season in this playoff run coming up right now ahead of us.
4: Yeah. And it, and I think it's literally, it literally is right now. It's, it's the, it's a time between last game and the next one. Uh, that matters most, the sense of urgency, um, you know, the, going on the road and having to compete versus going at home. You know, we'd rather be in our position as stars versus you know, what's going on in Carolina, but, you know, there's also a pressure at home too, and sometimes you squeeze it a little bit, but uh, we, got the great, we got a great mix of veterans, you know, with Pavelski and Jamie Benn and a few others and uh, and, and young guys, right? Miro and Y. Johnson and uh, Rupert Hintz, so we're, I think we got a good mix. Uh, we're going to come out and, and and play real well at home, but, uh you're right, it's, but it's tough, and you know, these guys have come this far. It does feel daunting, but at the end of the day, we just go take care of business at home it's, uh get it back to you know just a three-game series, but there's a lot of work to do, um, and I know our fans are ready to see a great game on Tuesday night uh, back home in Texas. You
2: talk about the Dallas fans, and that's kind of something I'm a little just a little curious about. You know, I think a lot of other markets, you know, the Florida ones get painted as ah sunshine and, you know, everything that gets said about Arizona. I don't know that people have a handle for what Texas Dallas specifically is as a hockey market. I mean, we all remember Brett Hall, Brett Hall's goal many moons ago. This is now the second. Well, they had a cup run in the bubble. This is now another one that they could be on the cusp of here if they can turn things around. Just what is Dallas like as a, as a hockey market, Marty?
4: yeah i mean people probably listening would be surprised to to know that uh you know our hockey period in north texas specifically is really growing i mean we've been there this is our you know 30th almost we came in 1993 so we're going to our 30th season of of uh being an NHL market there and, and the hockey has really grown um you know boys girls uh people of all walks of life are, are playing and. and and uh, you know when you have cup runs in the south, they, they really helps. Um, you kind of see what's happened here in Vegas being a new franchise, but they're you know they've gone this deep four out of six years, and and winning winning uh, always does help. But uh, we're starting to get uh, some some roots in the ground of, of, of being a, a new a, a more traditional hockey market with you know kids playing hockey and having built-in hockey fans for the rest of their lives. And so the, the Dallas Stars is in a you know in an area there's no team within probably. eight, 100 900 miles, and so uh, we dominate the the area, of the market. It's gone really well. Our franchise is, has grown and has a, done a good job. We, we own and operate 16 sheets of ice ourselves, and soon to be about 26 uh, with the breaks that we're we'll going to be building in the area. And um, you know, our youth sports, uh, adult leagues, uh, and everything in between is just full. We we don't have enough ice uh, for people. But uh, you see it now in the, in the finals of the, the banners, uh, the bumper stickers cars being painted around town, and uh, everybody just jumping on the board. It's, uh, It's fun to see, and it makes a big difference for the future of our franchise.
1: Marty
0: are you as fascinated by Sergei Bobrovsky's story uh, as I am Uh, this is a guy who's lost his job every year he's been in Florida at least at one point in the season uh, gets paid ten and a half million dollars and looks like someone who's never going to give you value on that but then he captures this moment right where he's virtually unbeatable and he can turn it on now I'm not suggesting that like any goaltender can turn it on and be Sergei Bobrovsky right now but is that kind of the nature of a goaltender where there are just moments in time where you are so dialed in feeling it to the extent where you just do reach your top form and your top level. If you're a guy like Sergey Bobrovsky is well, you've won multiple Veznas and if you win the Consmite trophy this year, you're going to the hall of fame is, is that just ha- what happens with goaltenders? Is that the nature of goaltenders or is Bobrovsky just a singular case?
4: Um, a good question. I I'm kind of leaning towards more of a singular um not that others can't and won't but it's 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 less than you think in my opinion um just to do it for multiple seasons uh at this high level uh for this this many times um you you, you just don't see it you, we've seen some runs of guys in one year but uh he's done it before uh and he is really talented It's uh it, it is funny to say that they always said their future goalie right and, and, and it wasn't him uh but i'm sure they're they're feeling pretty darn lucky to have him right now and playing this way because uh you know when we're watching he's just locked in and and you just don't see that with everybody um because he is literally stealing doing games and giving that team a chance to win and, and willing it feels like and um so they're they're quite fortunate i think it's uh, more singular in that case to, for the question it's like he's just a, one of those talents um you know, that when he's on, he's on and he could do it for long stretches. So it's it's been fun to watch for, for me as a goalie and uh I know Carolina's could, could doesn't like it that much they wish to squeeze <laughs> <least> one more in. <laughs> but uh he's 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 fun to watch. He's he's been one of the better ones for a long time. But it is the nature of the business, the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs. It's hard to be on all the time. And um and now, you know, you don't no one's playing it's, Sixty some games, really anymore. It's kind of not the thing. So you kind of want two goalies, but to come playoff time, you ride one out, and uh, they're they're getting they're getting their value now. Right during the during these playoffs, it's been a treat for for me, and and obviously for Florida.
2: Well, yeah, that's that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about. You just look at the four teams that are left and you've got two teams. Now, like we said, it's been, boy, a long winding road to get there. But Bobrovsky, who makes 10 sheets a year, so obviously he's your guy. Jake Ottinger, we just talked about how, how Dallas feels about him and rightfully so. And then when you look at the Hurricanes, it's a revolving door through the crease. It feels like every time I watch a game, they have a different goalie in there. And, hey, they can all be good on any given night. And then we see what happens with Vegas. What do you make of the kind of boom or bust approach that teams seem to take to goaltending, either you've got one of these super studs and you trust them a bunch, or it is continually throwing stuff at the wall until you find someone who sticks. I mean, the Leafs went through that here, and a lot of teams have, have taken that approach. Well, what do you make of that as far as NHL teams are going, Marty?
4: Well, I think those teams that have taken that approach really wasn't by design. <laughs> you know, it's just it's injuries or or just not good play. And I mean, I just looked right here in Vegas. I mean. People they have in their locker room are pretty talented, but uh, you know, for them to give kind the, have the confidence and Aiden Held to get up there and do what he's doing and, and get them to two victories to start the series is, uh, you know, it's really impressive. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure each team when they when they start the season they would tell you who their playoff goalie would be if they had to pick it all right then, but it, that's just not how it goes. So so, uh, have depth in your organization is is important. Uh, and, and I think most importantly is, is the work that they're getting. In not just in the NHL, but the guys in the minors too, to make sure that they are ready. And so, I think the training, the coaches, the practicing uh, on ice and off ice stuff that they do, really gives everybody a chance to be successful. So when they get here, some of them they don't miss a beat, and they just step right into the NHL, even if they're not used to it, without any experience, and uh, and have success because uh, the way things are going now. And uh, you got to applaud those teams that get their goaltenders. Uh, you know, ready and, um, but it's not by design, you know, it's, we, we wanted Jake to be here. He is. And, uh, you know, at least wanted somebody and, and Carolina wants somebody and it just doesn't work out. You kind of got a plan for the worst. And, uh, some teams have seen it, but it works with the, when they got the right person there to come in and help out. And a lot of times you're just crossing your fingers and you're hoping, because you don't know, but these guys, uh, a lot of guys have played really well. during these Stanley cup playoffs. that they you really don't know who they are. So it's uh, it's been neat to watch.
0: Hey Marty, we appreciate the time this morning. We appreciate you getting up early for us uh, in Vegas. <laughs> Best of luck uh in game three. We're hoping to see that series extended so yeah get the,
4: get a victory Dallas yeah, yeah we, we do want, We want to crack over some cold Kingsville beers when uh, after a big win Tuesday.
0: There you go. Uh, that's Marty Turco, former Stars goaltender president of the Dallas Stars Foundation, and owns ver, owner rather of Kingsville brewery. uh some news out of the NBA world, Carmelo Anthony saw that.
2: Has announced his retirement. This is one of those, oh, okay. I thought, could have swore that already happened. I do not disparage Mello. There's just a guy who hit me at a perfect time in life. I remember that Final Four championship run at like it was nothing. Uh, will not say a bad word about him, but could have swore he was already retired. Love it. My type of basketball player. There's a reason why I love DeMar
0: DeRozan. I love guys who are bucket getters. Mello was a bucket getter. Not an analytical guy. Not three or in the paint. It's just and a the legend, guy. Legend at the bank just a guy who goes out yeah goes out knocks it off the rim wherever it way or knocks it off the backboard whatever way it's got to go in mello found a way in his prime let's get to betano best bets it's time for best bets brought to you by betano the 2022 global sports betting operator of the year uh i'm going with a little bit of a weird one because there are okay. so many offering, offerings yes. as we know on betano um i have been s- totally flummoxed by the first four games of the conference finals so far in the stanley cup playoffs But there's one thing that I can bank on, and there is block shots. Block shots in every game. I don't know if anyone's going to score on Sergey Bobrovsky. I don't know who's going to play in net for Carolina. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if Matthew Kachuk's going to get another tap in and put himself in position to win a consmite trophy. But But I do know guys are going to be blocking shots. There's two guys that I've circled here. Over one and a half block shots. Brent Burns, minus 111. Mark Stahl, minus 108. I'm going to go with Stahl as my best bet. However, the guy who has blocked more shots per minute of ice is Brent Burns. Mm. But – this Carolina team is desperate. This Carolina team loves to put shots on net. This Carolina team does not hold onto the puck very long. They get it off their stick. They get it towards the net. I think Mark Stahl will be hanging out in front of the net because that's what Mark Stahl does. So Mark Stahl blocks two or more shots in the game minus 108. The over on Mark Stahl block shots is my best bet.
2: That's all very well thought out and reasoned. I'm going to tell you there's no way the Florida Panthers are about to take back to back three nothing series leads and there's no way every game for the rest of eternity is going to go to overtime. So what does that add up together? That adds to the Carolina Hurricanes winning in regulation. You know me. I hate these coward minus numbers. Plus 150 regulation win for the Hurricanes. Maybe I'm just speaking it into existence, but I truly believe it as well. That is my best bet.
0: Man, I'm not stepping in front of the Florida Panthers anymore. I think I'm done. I think I'm done. This playoffs or these conference finals, I mean, the four overtime games, it could go any which way, but I really wanted to see Dallas and Carolina in the final. And it feels like that is got no chance of happening because it feels like the charmed existences belong to Vegas and Florida. It seems like they're on a collision course. I just do not want to lose any more money to Matthew Kachuk and the cardiac cats.
2: Very fair. Very fair. Uh, I don't think any of these teams should be here other than Vegas. So uh, here, here we are. I'm not I even convinced about Vegas,
0: man. Yeah, I'm just
2: not convinced. Yeah, and uh that was your best bet brought to you by uh Botano. That is the uh best bet brought to you by Botano. The game starts now.
0: Uh yeah, so this was a fun couple weeks and a day. Eleven days, Gunner. Definitely, definitely appreciate uh you jumping on. Alish, as a reminder, we'll be back tomorrow. But we covered a lot of stuff. We covered I believe game three on between Sounds the Panthers good. and the Leafs the y- week of speculation and now finally we've reached some actual decisions from the Toronto Maple Leafs and Brennan Shanahan moving on
2: from Kyle Dubas uh, I'm doing it now just uh, I know he's not here but Daniele should the Leafs find a GM in the next week I will be booking myself for that 630 time slot so just putting that uh, on the in the air and on paper now. predictions quick will it be true living no it won't be true living. somebody else somebody unexpected and I don't think I'm gonna like it and
0: (laughs) looking at odds it feels like it feels like there's a chance something could come out of left field and my fingers are crossed that that happens uh fan morning show will be back with alish for far tomorrow gunner thanks again we'll chat soon